Well, Father, we come before you just grateful for your word, that we can listen to it, that we can hear it taught. And I pray that your word will speak the message that is needed for everyone here at this moment. Lord, I, well, your Bible teaches destiny, that you're in control of all things, that as we sequentially go through the book of Luke, this is the passage that we are to focus on today. And the people assembled here today are the ones you want to hear this message. I pray that we will listen with attentive hearts and be ready for you to speak to us, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the title of this message is A Special Place in Hell. <laughs> Makes you want to listen to it, doesn't it, right? <laughs> Tell me more. And uh, it's used in various contexts. I'll give you two of them. In the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, one Madeleine Albright, who was the former Secretary of State for Bill Clinton, said infamously, there is a special place in hell for... Women who don't support other women. She apologized for that later on. Martin Luther King Jr. said, The hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. I just finished reading a book over my vacation called Fever in the Heartland, which was about a, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in Indiana. And the leader of the Klan was a man by the name of D.C. Stevenson, who was capable, charismatic, but a vile human being. Rapist, murderer, deceiver, hypocrite. Uh, he was a racist, obviously. And after reading that, it kind of reaffirmed my belief in hell. And I thought to myself, I wonder if there's a special place in hell for somebody like him. And so that kind of brings up the question, is there a special place in hell? I mean, it almost appeals to our sense of justice, doesn't it? I did some Google research for this sermon, and I asked Google, who is the most vile human being who ever lived? Top of the list, you probably could guess it, Adolf Hitler, followed by Joseph Stalin. And then after that, you get into different people Vlad the Impaler, who inspired Dracula, Idi Amin, uh, the Ugandan dictator. Uh, then you have maybe axe murderers, people who would um, just committed very cruel and unusual crimes against humanity. So whether it was the quantity of blood they shed or how they did it, many people are measured as extra evil by the taking of human life. But at the same time, we know that once you go to hell, you go to hell. And ultimately, the reason why people go to hell is for their crime against God, which is rebellion. That one sin, right? One transgression is enough to merit the eternal sentence of death. James 2, 10 through 11 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And the image is this. It's like the law is a window. And whether you break a large piece of the window or maybe have a small BB hole. Not that that ever happens, you know, in your house, right? 
it's still broken and it has to be replaced. So when you violate the law, it doesn't matter if it was something big or little, you, you violate the authority of the lawgiver. You defy him. That's an act of rebellion. But is there a place where the experience of sin, the experience of eternal punishment is worse for some but not others? Well, Jesus actually answers the question. Is there a special place in hell? With Luke 10, 13 through 16. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, in this context, Jesus is sending out the 72. He's sending them out on a training run. They are to go from village to village preaching the kingdom of heaven. And as he prepares them for it, he prepares them for rejection. Some people won't like you because they don't like me. Some people will not welcome you, will reject you, and you are to leave. And should that happen, this is the declaration about them in 10.12, I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Sodom was a byword for worst human beings ever. It was the most immoral city on earth. And Jesus says that they are going to have a better experience of judgment than for the people that reject you. And then he gives a, a retrospective assessment of his previous ministry hometowns, Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. They will experience a special place at judgment. They were given opportunities, and they rejected it. And so here's something that's really chilling as I went through this. We often think about that special place in hell for, pe for people out there, right? But when you examine this passage, this is what you're going to find. The special place in hell is not for people out there. It's actually for people in this room. What? Yeah. The special place in hell is not for people outside this room. Is actually reserved for people inside this room. And what we're going to do is talk about why that's the case. And this is the goal. I don't want anyone in this room to go to that special place in hell. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the pronouncement of hell, the means of escaping hell, the special place in hell, the presumption of escape from hell, and then the arbiter of hell. And the goal is to deliver people here from that special place. So look at the pronouncement of hell. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Now that term, woe, is the opposite of blessed. It is pronouncement of a curse, a, a judgment. Woe is you. 
and has pronounced on two cities that they're going to experience something terrible at the end of the age. Now, the judgment is most fully expressed in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15, I'll read it to you. And I, this is John the Apostle speaking, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is a second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the Bible teaches the reality of hell. Any Christian pastor comes to you and says, hell's not a real place. They're not faithful to scripture. It is in here. Jesus taught more about hell than any other human being recorded in scripture. It's there, it's real, it's terrible. And in this case, two cities are going to experience a special place in hell, starting with Chorazin, which is a town situated in the Sea of Galilee. We don't know much about that town. It's only mentioned twice in the context of judgment, but we do know a little bit more about the sister city of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. It was the site of the healing of a blind man in Mark 8. Bethsaida was in the vicinity where Jesus fed the 5,000. It was a host city. They saw many miracles, many exorcisms, many healings. Jesus taught there. Some of their favorite sons converted. And now Jesus is pronouncing a woe of judgment. Two woes on these two cities. Now, hear me out. If this is your first time here, you get all excited about coming to Flint Hills Bible Church, checking it out. Pastor gets up and he preaches on a special place in hell. And you're thinking, what is this? What is this fire and brimstone message? Well, we teach sequentially through the scriptures, and this is where we are. Jesus pronounces two sets of woes. And why is he doing that? He's giving a warning. Now, a week and a half ago, we all saw what happened when the warning system goes off and doesn't work. The good people of Lahaina didn't even have a chance to avoid the fires to come because the warning system did not work. The Bible is full of warnings. Warnings about real things, real events. Jesus is warning these cities. He's warning all of us, right? To heed the warning. And when a warning is given, you take it seriously, agreed? Hell is real. People actually go there. And now he's warning that there is a, a special place in hell. But within this warning, embedded in it, is a hint. The means of escaping hell. Look at verse 13. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now, some cities are known for their immorality, right? If I were to tell you, I'm going to take a personal treat, retreat to Las Vegas, 
you'd be talking to Becky and say, why Las Vegas? If some single person were to go to, let's say, Amsterdam, you'd wonder, what are you doing there, right? There's certain cities, and we all kind of know their names, not Branson, but other cities, where you don't want to go there because people will judge you and say, what are you doing there? Well, Tyre and Sidon were two such cities. They were to the north on the coast of the Mediterranean. They prospered greatly at the expense of others. In fact, in Amos 1.9 and Joel 3.6, we learn that they facilitated the sale of Jewish slaves to their enemies. They were fat and happy, and their wealth and affluence created a certain arrogance, and they gave praise to their gods, their pagan gods, for what the, they gave them. And everyone despised Tyre and Sidon. But Jesus says something about them that would shock the audience. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So here Jesus uses contingent knowledge. He goes back and he knows if all of these exorcisms and all of these miracles, everything that I've done for these cities were actually done there, they would have repented with sackcloth and ashes. Now, God in his providence decided that Tyre and Sidon should be judged and he did not dispense revelation to them to save them. God has his reasons, he's sovereign. But the larger point that he's making is this, right? If I did there what I did here, they would have repented. They would have repented and avoided the judgment. Now, to repent here means to change your mind and is accompanied by sackcloth and ashes. And now, can you imagine wearing one of those potato sacks? It's probably even worse back then, right? It was not something that was comfortable. It was an expression of mourning. They're usually dark in color to kind of show the mood. And when you're sitting in, in, in ashes, you're basically debasing yourself, ashamed of what you have done. So there is this profound mourning over what they have done against God. And repentance is this, this deep desire to change it, to change your ways, to pursue the Lord. When that happens, judgment is passed over, right? That is the invitation. That is the mission when they're preaching about the kingdom of God is coming. If you turn from your sins and you make Christ your king, you will avoid the judgment to come and reside in eternal bliss with your king in the kingdom of heaven forever, right? That's the offer. That is the means of escape. But sadly... Many of these people who saw Jesus feed the 5,000, who were perhaps fed with the 5,000, saw their sons and daughters relieved from demonic oppression, saw their mother healed of a disease. They wouldn't turn to Jesus. They might have liked him. They might have appreciated him. But they never made him their Lord. They never surrendered. And as a result, they will be doomed to a special place in hell. Look at verse 14. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now, Tyre and Sidon will be judged. But their judgment 
will not be as bad as it will be for Bethsaida and Chorazin. They benefited from all these works. Jesus taught in their midst. He was present, pleading with them. They saw the conversion of some of their sons, Peter being one of them, Andrew and Philip. They received gospel light. Great quantities of it. But they wouldn't change and they wouldn't repent. And as a result, there will be a different and more severe experience of judgment for them than for others. Jesus, in one of his parables, talks about a servants must be ready for the sudden appearance of their master. And he says two chapters later in, in Luke 12, 47 through 48, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Notice two different experiences of punishment. Both are punished, one less than the other. What's the difference? Everyone to whom much is given, of him much is required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The greater light, the more you know, the greater accountability, and the greater the punishment. The special place in hell is not for people outside this room. It's for people inside this room. And then Jesus gives another warning. A warning to the good people of Capernaum about the presumption of escape from hell. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Capernaum was home base for Jesus. When he ministered into the north, he operated out of this city. And if you're a good person of Capernaum, you would think that you have received some special favor from God because the Messiah was operating in your midst. In fact, they would assume that Jesus would look out for their own, right? They would be righteous by association with him. But they were good people, went to the synagogue, practiced their religion, went to all the feasts, they were blessed with the presence of the Messiah. They had this idea that they will be exalted to heaven, but Jesus says, not so fast, my friend. You will be brought down to Hades. You're not going where you think you're going to go. Hades is the abode of the dead, the abode of the damned. These are the people who might go up to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, remember us? You, you healed my sister. I told other people to get their healing from you. Remember when I would sit attentively at your feet listening to all the lessons that you taught me? Remember when I told that guy who was demon-possessed that if you go to Jesus, he will take care of it? Remember all these things that I did? And Jesus will ask, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? These are people who knew better, who were exposed, who thought they were in pretty good shape. 
But Jesus says, you, Capernaum, who thought you would be exalted to heaven, you'll be brought down to Hades. And then he explains in the context of sending out the 72. It's not just a rejection of him, himself, that determines your fate. It goes beyond that. You see in the arbiter of hell in verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So how people respond not just to the light of Christ determines your fate, but how do people respond to those messengers, those missionaries, those pastors, those teachers who he sends? If you reject the 72, you're rejecting the one who sent them, which is Jesus. If you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God, the Father who sent him. In the same way, you might think, well, I, I, I love God and I love Jesus. But if you reject his messengers, if you reject the authority of the Bible, which was written by his messengers, you're actually rejecting Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, who else are you rejecting? You're rejecting God, right? His, I mean, so many people will, will say, yes, I believe in God. I am spiritual but not religious, right? Right? I believe in God, I love God, I have a lot of respect for Jesus, but that's just another way of just rejecting Jesus and rejecting God. Or some people will say, I love church. I'm sorry, let me say that again. If you say I love church, that's great, by the way. (laughs) But some people will say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, right? And a lot of times what they mean is, I don't love people who tell me how to live their lives and what to do. All we're doing here is I'm just telling you what the Bible says. These messengers were sent out by Jesus to write down eventually what he said and taught. You would not know about Jesus apart from the messengers. Did you know that? When you reject the messengers, when you reject the authority of the Bible, when you reject the light given to you, that is a rejection of Jesus and also a rejection of God. Jesus makes it very, very clear how you respond to the people who dispense his revelation. And the revelation itself determines whether or not you go to that special place in hell. See, the theme here is this. The greater light, the greater the light, the greater the accountability. And the greater the accountability, the greater the judgment. And there's some serious implications to this. I'm, I'm going to give you three. Okay? Number one, greater accountability for greater light points to greater judgment. Okay? Greater accountability for greater light points to greater judgment. Now, in my high school English class, we read a very interesting work written in about 1300 AD called Dante's Inferno. Any of you guys remember reading that? Yeah, it's a fascinating book where this guy takes you on a guided tour of, I think, the nine levels of hell. And every one of these levels has some sort of poetic justice as punishment. For instance, fortune tellers in Dante's hell have their heads put on backwards. 
They can't see the future anymore. They can only see behind them, right? And he kind of goes down different levels of hell. And it's interesting to see who Dante thinks is in a worse spot than before. And this kind of begs the question, does, does Adolf Hitler get the same sentence as my grandpa, right? Who ultimately goes to the lowest hell? But here, Corazon, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, and even uh, and Capernaum meet a worse fate than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. There will be different levels of punishment, and what's it based off of? The level of knowledge, right? It's not the people outside this room who are in trouble, it's the people inside this room. You, you think about it. Let's say a young woman gets pregnant out of wedlock, and her boyfriend pressures her to get an abortion and drives her to a Planned Parenthood. She walks into the clinic, and the nurses and doctors are very careful never to refer to the baby as a baby. Uh, they refer to the baby as fetus. They tell her that we can actually do this procedure to remove tissue. Very simple. Everybody does it. You'll be in and out. And so she goes ahead and she terminates the pregnancy. Now, you can kind of understand that, right? It's still murder, still wrong. But that's very different from the woman who walks into a crisis pregnancy center. She receives a sonogram. She understands that the, that the fetus is not a fetus, but a baby kicking inside of her. She learns that this baby has a unique DNA that's different from yours, but will still possibly share your eye color, your, your hair color. She begins to imagine baby names. But then she remembers what her boyfriend said. She doesn't want to throw her life away. She goes over to Planned Parenthood, and then she terminates the baby. Right? That's a very different experience. The more you know, the more culpable you are. Greater light leads to greater accountability and greater judgment. Okay, now that is a stunning implication, isn't it? If you know a lot, the more you know, the more you will suffer. This leads to another implication. Greater accountability for greater light should lead us to fear apostasy, falling away from the faith. You think about Judas, and incidentally, you know who was in the lowest place in hell? In Dante's Inferno, it's Judas. He walked with Jesus for three years. He was given delegated power to cast out demons and do miracles. He heard all the teaching. And yet Jesus wasn't enough. He rejects Jesus, and he suffers for that. His experience will be worse than others. Last week, I was talking to a, a sister church, and we had a Q&A about um, apostasy. And it's very personal for me because two of my seminary roommates have walked away from the faith. It's stunning. These were men trained in how to study, teach, and preach the Bible, trained in ministry, advocated for the gospel, and they don't believe it anymore. Too much is given, much is required, and, and that is a fearful thought, that they will go to that special place in hell unless the Lord intervenes and they repent. See, here's the deal. When you become a Christian, when you're baptized, when you plant your flag on Jesus, you, you cross a Rubicon of sort. Do you guys know that term, Rubicon? is is fascinating. It's a river in Italy. And the Roman Republic had a rule 
that a general could enter Rome, but he had to leave his army on the other side of the Rubicon. They did not want a military coup. Well, Julius Caesar decided that Rome should no longer be a republic, and so he went to Rome, and he had his army cross the Rubicon. And at that moment, he had two outcomes. One, he could lose and be deemed a traitor and be executed, or he can fight his way to Rome and overthrow the government. When he crossed the Rubicon, it was kill or be killed from that point on. When you cross the Rubicon, when you declare yourself a Christian, when you're open about following Christ, you have crossed the Rubicon. To fail, to commit apostasy, is to suffer a worse fate than you would otherwise. You look at Hebrews, which is a whole book about warning people about apostasy. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire that will consume the adversaries. You see, the special place in hell is not for people out there, but for in here. If you're a Christian and you know this, and there's some little area of sin in your life how long are you going to be tolerating it? If you go on sinning willfully, you have unaddressed sin that you won't take care of. It might be pornography. It might be an immoral relationship. Um, it might be a seed of bitterness. You know what it is. You are in danger of not just going to hell, but going to that special place in hell. You see, this reality should cause you to be very, very serious about fighting your sin. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You are to go to war against your sin with the strength and the power and the passion and the desires that God has given you in Christ Jesus. But then there's a third implication. Greater accountability for greater light should lead us to make a commitment. Now, in this church, we have three groups of people, okay? The first group are, you are a Christian and you know it. You believe the gospel. Your life has been changed. You don't live a flawless life, but a consistent life. You love God's word. You love God's people. You want to fight your sin that's awesome. He who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. But then you have another category. This is called the make-believer category, right? Those apostates, they were make-believers the whole time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. These are people who might have a... Uh, they're they're self-deceived about where they really are. They're, they're the people who will go to Jesus on judgment, and say, judgment Day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not cast out many demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? Uh, we're calling you Lord after all, and Jesus will say, away from me, those who practice iniquity. 
There's an unsurrendered area in their life. Jesus is not Lord. They might have some deviant understanding of salvation. They think, well, I was baptized. That's good enough. I prayed this prayer, and that was good enough. I I had this come-to-Jesus moment. I I listened to the sermon by Pastor Dave, and I felt really convicted, and so that must have been salvation. My friend, hell will still be a worse place for you because you heard You knew better. But this warning and this sermon is here for a reason, right? The Lord's talking to you right now so that you might be redeemed from this faith. And this would be my challenge to you in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test. Now, if you examine yourself and you find out you're not a Christian, then you repent and become a Christian. And that's a great outcome, isn't it? If you examine yourself and you find out you are a Christian, then rejoice that you're a Christian. When you test yourself, you can't lose. So what would keep you from doing that? Well, I'm afraid about what I'll find. Well, better now than before Jesus, right? Or perhaps, well, I don't really want to change and, you know, I, I kind of like the way I live. You won't like the way you live when you stand before Jesus. Hell is real. Jesus will judge people. Your response to the word is telling. But then there's a, an, another group of people, and, and this is where it gets intense. We often think about the special place in hell for Osama bin Laden, who murdered thousands of Americans. You might think about Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, or Jim Morrison, who's just this abject, hedonistic, vile person. And you think that the special place in hell is for people who are out there, not for people in here. You see, when you look at Jesus' teaching, who was he warning about the special place in hell? It wasn't the people in Sodom, Tyre, Sidon. It was the good people in Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. This is where it gets intense. Be prepared. You are the son or daughter of faithful Christians. When you were born, your parents prayed over you. They brought you up here to dedicate their parenting to you. Nightly, they would read you children's Bible stories. They made sure you went to Awanas or Adventure Club. While not perfect, they practiced what they preached. They shared the gospel with you. They pleaded with you. They were faithful in their discipline of you. They took you to church. They served. They would bring you to youth group, and the good staff members of the youth group would take time to go to camp with you, would take a week off of work. They'd check on, on you to see how you're doing. This church knows you by name. They love you. People pray for you. They're concerned about you. And now you're at this point where you're going off to college, and, and you think, you know, I plan on being a Christian someday. I, I plan to repent someday, but I want to have my fun first. Lord, make me holy, but not yet. So in spite of the tears of your mother and your father, in spite of the, the prayers and the intercessions of the good people of Hills Bible Church or whatever church you came from, 
you're just here for one Sunday because you made a promise to your parent or somebody dragged you here. You have no real interest in changing. So you drive to Strong City. It's 10 o'clock at night. And as you're driving in the other lane, there is a semi-truck, and that driver is getting drowsy and drooping, and the semi-truck drifts. You don't notice because you checked a message on your phone. Shame on you. And you look up, and it's too late. Head-to-head, your car collides with the truck, and the truck wins. You are instantaneously killed. And you stand before a glorious figure, and you think, oh no. At that point, it's too late. With all the light you were given, with all the people pouring into you, all of that will testify against you at that point in judgment. And your existential experience in hell will be worse than anyone because you are so close that you'll have that extra thought that will torment you for all eternity. Right? That's what you're facing. That's what you're facing. There is a special place in hell for those who have been exposed to sustained, faithful Christian witness and reject it. But there's also a very special place in heaven for those who receive that faithful Christian witness, respond to it in faith and repentance. See, ultimately, if Jesus wanted you to be condemned to hell, he would not have warned you about the reality, right? The reason why he came to earth was to warn people of the wrath to come and not only warn them, but do something about it. Because on the cross, when Jesus died, he experienced the wrath of God that was due to you, that you deserve, so that he can give you a life that you don't deserve. When he rose from the dead, he conquered sin, he conquered death. He's going to bring in a new kingdom without sin, without rebellion, without death, without sickness. And he wants to offer it to all. So yes, there is a special place in hell for those who reject his revelation. But there is a special place in the heart of God for those who accept it. My friend, choose this day who you will serve. Today's the day. Don't put it off. A decision to delay is a decision to disobey. Do not say, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. You know what needs to be let go. Now, I'm going to pray, and as I do, I want you to pray as well. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, do something about it. Talk to somebody, share with somebody, but make today the day where you go from one special place in hell to the special place in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful for this word, and I know this is heavy, and I know this is hard. I want to pray for anyone here who is tormented, who knows better. Lord, there's a war going on in their soul right now, and I pray that you will be victorious, victorious, that you 
will give them the faith to turn from their sin, to turn to you, to trust you, and that this will be the start of something wonderful where they will understand the joy of being in that special place in heaven. I, I pray that the appeal of sin and the lies that come with it will be exposed. And I pray that this will be a turning point in their life. Lord, we're praying for you to do this because only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.